Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. For uh, those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. I am, um, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. It's not just a normal day here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Today was not the grand opening, but it was our first day with our kids' renovation completed. And I don't know if you've been back there or not, but those kids and their parents are really excited about the way that looks. And I want to thank, absolutely, give it up. Absolutely. You know, I've been thinking about this. In 2007, uh, actually in 2006, I got a call from my friend Jeff Cranston. And uh, he said, hey, I want you to be praying about coming to uh, Hilton Head Island and helping me uh, start a campus of Lowcountry Community Church. And uh, my wife and I prayed about it. She prayed more than I did because I knew that Hilton Head had golf and the beach, and it was pretty quick for me. I'm not going to lie to you. But we prayed through that, and uh, in 2007, we moved down here to start a, a church um, for a community that at the time was 9% churched, 9%. And so we moved down here, and we had no idea what was in store. We had no clue what, uh, what the future would be. We didn't know the struggles. We didn't know the joys. We had no clue of, of how this would go. We had moved from New York City. Uh, we were with some friends up there starting a church, and I'm just glad and excited to tell you that that church is going strong today, Gallery Church in Manhattan. It's going great. But when we moved here, we had no clue what God would do. We had no clue what the ups and downs would be. And um, I remember um, almost in desperation in those first few months because we could not find a space to meet in as a church. Couldn't find a place to, to hold services. And, and I remember in almost in desperation um, loading the kids up in the car. And at the time, our Sydney, who is now uh, 10 and a half, um, going on like 18, um, and Sean... Uh, who uh, is now eight and is missing all of his teeth, by the way. He lost three in the last week and a half. I love it. It's awesome. I try to get him to say words with S and F, and it's funny. But we loaded them up in the car. He was, uh, gosh, I guess about four or five months, and we literally were driving around looking for a place to meet. And, and we couldn't find any. Frank Condor remembers this. Couldn't find any. And I remember calling Jeff one day. Some of you have heard this story and saying, man, I don't know what to do. I mean, you know, this is, this is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, finding a place to meet here on Hilton Head Island. It was easier in New York City. And he's, you know, he's just said, keep trying. So like a good boss does, keep trying, keep pushing. No, he helped out quite a bit, actually. And um, I remember in the spring of 2007, somehow our van made it to this property. Sorry, it's not because it's my birthday and I'm 42 years old today. I promise you, it's because this dream is um, being realized. And I remember pulling up on this property, and it was actually that building next door that when I saw it, immediately I told Cynthia, I said, that could be a church right there, that building right there. That could be a church. And we pulled over, and we got out of our van, and we prayed. And we asked God to open up space in that building. Well, he didn't come through, did he? <laughs> he didn't come through at all. And in uh, 2010, 
uh, moments before we were about ready to renew our lease down, if some of you are with us down at the uh, uh, Pope Avenue Office Park Road property, moments before that, Gary Harrison, um, who's been an elder and has been with us from day one, called and said, man, there's a warehouse that might become available. Why don't you come down and take a look? And we called off the negotiations with the Office Park building. How many of you were at Office Park all those years? Raise your hand. Awesome. And we prayed about this property, and God gave us this property as a church. He gave us this building. And here we are today, and there's dozens of kids, some of whom are going to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in this building because God is faithful to his promises. And he's used people like you to raise the money, to help paint the walls, and I'm so thankful, and in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate. I'm, I'm doing this to lead to a point this morning. I promise it does relate to the message, I promise you. But I'm so excited that what you see here today has all been done with cash. We owe money on the building. We're going to be working with Hargrave over the next couple of years to do that. But I'm just so excited, and I'm so thankful to each and every one of you, some of you who sacrificed in amazing ways to give to what God is doing in and through Hilton Head Island Community Church. And I want to stop for a moment, and I want to give him thanks for what he has done. And I want to thank those of you who have been a part of it, who have come alongside myself and Cynthia and our staff and partnered in this project. When we moved in, we weren't able to do what we wanted to do on that side of, of the building for our kids. And my daughter, who uh, has sat as a child and an infant on many gym floors today, is in a teenage room called Ignite that rocks it. And they are rocking it out in there. And I'm just excited about what God is going to do with our students. You know, every study that you read says that people have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ at 90% under the age of 18. That's where we're going to have our greatest influence. And it was a year ago today that we began this campaign to finish this building. And I can't believe it. We did not plan this. In fact, I was telling uh, Richard Ricks, our chairman of the elders, didn't even dawn on me until this, uh, till last night that it was a year ago today that we began this project. And I want to give God the glory for what he has done. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you. We're going to dedicate that children's space here in a few weeks, and we're going to celebrate that. God, it ties in so well to the message today that you have provided every step of the way, and it hasn't been easy. In fact, sometimes it's been downright difficult. But God, we want to give you the honor and the glory. It's been our hands that you have used to create this place where people who maybe are not churched can walk in these doors and have an encounter with you that may be life-changing, not just for their life here on earth, but for eternity. God, we thank you that the job inside these four walls has been completed. As of last night at 10 o'clock as we closed the doors and walked out of here, and I'm so thankful for what you've done. And God, I pray that as we celebrate over the next month, that God, it doesn't just become something where we're excited about and we kick up our feet, but God, it becomes something that spurs us on to do more, to pray more, to seek your face more. God, to, 
appeal to you that more and more people would come to know you as their Savior so that they can have eternity in heaven with you. God, I thank you for the great work that you've done and that you're doing and that we uh, hold fast to that you're going to do in the future. And God, I thank you for every person in here, for every dime that was given. God, from the person that was able to give large amounts to the person that was able to give small amounts, God, they're all equal in your eyes, all those gifts. And we thank you for that. And God, I thank you for those who came in here and grabbed a roller and a paintbrush and put some paint on the wall. And I thank you for those who helped us move furniture 10 times over over the past few years, God. God, I thank you for those who willingly serve week in and week out. And God, as we move forward in these four walls, I pray that we would steward it to the best of our ability. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified. And God, we are so thankful for the promises that we have because you are so good. Help us, God, even in our lack of understanding to understand that. Help us when we have trouble trusting you to be able to trust you. And God, even when we're on the lovely, God, we thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. We give you the honor and the glory. Be with us now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us into wisdom and into knowledge this morning as we begin this series, he will come and save. God, we're so thankful that you're a God of salvation. And I pray all these things in the strong and the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. We're entering this brand new series and the story of the completion of what we are, have done in these four walls here today um, is a perfect illustration of God's promises. It's a perfect illustration of uh, what God does and who he is. But I got to tell you, um, when it comes to promises, uh, we have a lot of reason to be um, skeptical, don't we? I mean, let's face it, we have a lot of reason to be skeptical in our lives. People enter our lives and um, they, they break their promises quite often, don't they? They break their, their promises. I mean, you know, um, husbands and wives may enter our lives and, and they break their promises. Um, we may have children that break their promises. We may have teachers and, yes, even pastors that break their promises. We may have people in our lives who we highly esteem who break their promises. We have politicians who break their promises all the time, don't we? I'm not going to name any names, but we do. We have people that try to sell us that have their best interest in mind, and they break their promises over and over again. So it's hard for us. We're skeptical when it comes to promises because of sin in the world because of humanity and the frailness of who we are, uh, we, we, we don't trust in the promises that are given. We don't trust the words sometimes that are spoken. And I think that we can honestly say that you and I have every right to be skeptical of this word promise. And as we begin this series today, we're going to be laying the groundwork for kind of a, a path. And I want to encourage you, if you're a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, I, I, want, to, I want to challenge you um, to be faithful, to be here week in and week out over these next few weeks as we really seek God out and, and find out what it means that he came to save and that he is coming to save. Um, our, our God is a great God. 
and he desires to have a relationship with humanity. And the story of that, not just of humanity, but the story of that with God and his people, the nation of Israel, lays a foundation for what he did through Jesus Christ. And on the night that Jesus died, on that Friday night, which in a few weeks we're going to um, um, remember his, his death on a, on a cross, on, on that night, uh, as, as he and his disciples gathered together uh, in an upper room, they came together there in Jerusalem to celebrate the faithfulness of God to his people over a long period of time. They were there in Jerusalem, and they were celebrating the Passover feast, which is also called the Seder Supper. And I want you to get very familiar with that word, the Passover feast. A lot of you understand that. A lot of you know that. But I want you to get very comfortable with this word, Seder Supper, this, this whole idea of coming together to celebrate the faithfulness of God in delivering his people from bondage. Because if we understand that Old Testament story of God and his people, the Jewish people, then we can truly understand what God was doing when he sent his only son into the world to die for the sins of humanity. Because it was another example, the final example of him coming to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And it's really great because what we've planned for Holy Week, you're going to hear about it at the end of the, the service today, what we've planned for Holy Week, which is coming up at the end of March, the last week of March, uh, 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 Easter Sunday is on April the 5th. On April the 1st, on Wednesday, April the 1st, we're going to come together as a church and, and we're going to celebrate the Seder Supper together. It's going to be awesome. Um, you can actually sign up today and go to the guest service table and sign up. If you are interested in being a part of the Seder Supper, you absolutely have to let us know um, because there's limited seating available at this, and there's going to be a small cost involved, nothing major. We've got the Jews for Jesus, a fantastic organization coming in, and one of their key people is going to be leading us in this supper. But this is not just like dinner. This is not just like you, you and I um, going down, you know, and, and having dinner, uh, you know, buy one, get one free that ended last night from what I hear, uh, you know, here on Hilton Head. Uh, it's not just like us going, you know, to the, the boathouse or Frankie Bones and, and having dinner together where it's all about us. This particular dinner, this particular time in, in the history of God's people was about God. It was about celebrating who he was. And so over these next few weeks together, we're going to look at the story of the Jewish people. We're going to look at the story of what God was doing in the life of these people that were his people. And how that sets the stage for his coming. His sending his only son to die on the cross. It's going to be a fantastic journey through understanding where the Jewish people came from and why they celebrate and the nuances, all the specifics surrounding that Seder supper, that Passover feast, and how every little detail of that meal represented something about the deliverance of God's people. And it begins with a promise. It begins with God making a promise. To humanity. The story of the Bible, if you take a look at this book from beginning to end, there are several different promises. They're called covenants in the Bible. We're going to use the word promise, but I want you to understand that word covenant because there are several different covenants that God makes with his people, and each one of them are different. Each one of them are unique. 
Uh, some of them uh, never changed. Some of them God changed. Uh, some of them uh, had to do with obedience. Some of them had to do uh, with just his promise. And it begins, the story of God coming and saving humanity begins with a promise. And behind that promise, if you peel the layers off that promise, if you get to the core of that promise of that covenant, what you see is the very nature of God. And that's what we trust when we trust in God's promises. Take a look at your notes this morning. You can also get on and, and access the app on your device if you have that with you. Let's take a look at the, the notes this morning as we discover uh, the fact that God is a God of promise. And in a day and age where we can be skeptical about the promises that people make, some of those who are even closest to us, we can trust the promises of God. We can trust in him. Let's begin with the definition of the word covenant. Let's begin with the definition of the word covenant. A covenant is this. It's an agreement between God and his people in which God makes a conditional or an unconditional, what's that next word? Promise to his people. That's a covenant. A covenant is agreement, an agreement between God and his people in which God makes a conditional or an unconditional promise to his people. That's what covenant means. And you see all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, you see a covenant between God and Noah. You see a covenant between God and Moses. Today we're going to look at a covenant between God and Abraham. There's one between God and David. And then there's the new covenant. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. God is a God of promise. And we see here in Genesis 12, take a look. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 12. We see here the story, the beginning of God making a promise with his people. Now, a little bit of background here, a little bit of background. We've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the beginning of God, God has created the earth. And the beginning of God's relationship with his people began with sin. It began with Adam and Eve making a choice to sin. And the Bible tells us that the first sin in that first sin, Sin, set the course like a domino uh, of, of effect of sin existing all throughout humanity. It was a representation that we all would be born with sin. Romans says that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Paul is writing that in Romans, he, he kind of gives the readers of that day an indication of what he was talking about because when he says um, that we are all sinners and have fallen short, the word for fallen short right there is, would have given the, the Greek readers the picture of an archer uh, uh, casting his bow, pulling back his, his bow and arrow and letting that arrow go and missing the mark. It literally means missing the mark. And you and I, just by our very nature of our birth, miss the mark because we all have this in common. We are all sinners. We all fail and we all have faults. And so the story of God and man really began with creation, but it continued with sin. And then God begins to tell his people how they can go through redemption. And we come to the story of God and Abraham, that first patriarch that we see in God's people. And take a look at what happens 
in Genesis 12. And by the way, if you're interested in this, in, in reading further and doing more study this week, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I want to encourage you to do that. Not only do we have a 40-day guide for Lent that you can uh, pick up, you can access it online, and you can get it at our guest service desk, but you could read through this portion of Genesis. Genesis 12 through 18 describes this relationship between God and Abraham. I love this passage of Scripture, that very first promise, that very first covenant. Take a look at what he says. The Lord, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a, what does that say? What's that next two words? Great nation. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will, what are those next two words? Bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He promises, God promises to make Abram at this point in time. His name hasn't changed yet. We'll look at that next week. Uh, he makes a promise to Abram. I'll call him Abraham because that's how we know him. Um, he makes this promise to Abraham to, to bless him, or to make his name great, to make him a great nation, and to bless him. He makes this promise to Abraham. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham heard from God this promise, and it was based on something that he had to do. What was it based on? It was based on Abraham going out into the unknown. We'll talk about that again next week. Going out into the unknown and finding the land that God had promised for him. And, and I love ending there with verse 4 because that's really it in a nutshell. God promised and Abraham went. He obeyed, didn't he? He obeyed. God said, I want you to do this. Abraham said, you got it. Will do. Look at Genesis 12, 7 through 8. It's a, kind of a rephrasing of this. The Lord then, uh, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now get the picture here. This man by the name of Abram has been promised by God to make his name great, to become a great nation, and uh, to, be, uh, to bless him and be blessed by him. That's essentially the promise. God, uh, Abraham obeys, and God leads him to the place that's going to be the promised land, and Abram there builds an altar uh, to give glory to God for what he had done. So God made this promise, and Abraham obeys. And here's the principle today. Here's the principle. Sometimes God's promises are conditional based on our obedience. Sometimes God's promises are conditional based on our obedience. Sometimes there's an if-then statement when it comes to God's promises to us. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, at, at this point in time, we still lived in Florida, and, and my dad um, got me out mowing the yard early, 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 
earlier than was probably legal, really, to be honest with you. I mean, like, you know, to have a mower in your hand. And he didn't give me the weed eater until I was um, in high school. So that was, that was good. That, he protected me there. But he, he gave me the uh, lawnmower, and he said, listen, I need you to cut this backyard right here. And I, I, I'm not kidding. I think I was eight or nine years old which just reminded me, I got to get Sean on this this summer. But anyway, um, so he put me in the backyard and he said, I, you need to mow this part of the yard right here. And when you're done, um, I'll give you $2. It was a terrible wage, but that's okay. So he, he promised that he would give me $2 if I cut the yard. And as I got older, it was the same kind of scenario. He traveled quite a bit and he would say, hey, I need you to do the yard this week. And I'll give you money if you do that. And if he came home and I didn't cut the yard, if I didn't do the yard work that week, I didn't get the money. That's how a conditional promise works, right? If you do this, then you will do this. Some promises of God are conditional. And they're based on your obedience and my obedience. That is a word that is not talked about in church much today, is it? We don't like to talk about the word obey, do we? But there are some things in God's word that require us to do something to follow in obedience to what God wants us to do. Salvation is a free gift, but becoming a follower of Jesus Christ will sometimes require us to do certain things that God has said to do. A conditional covenant has this format. God will do whatever it is if we will do whatever he says. Sometimes God's promises are conditional. He told Abram to go into the unknown. He didn't tell him where, did he? He just said go into the unknown into a land that Abram knew was filled with people who didn't like him. And he did it. He obeyed. And sometimes we get frustrated with God and we need to look to ourselves because maybe that thing that we're doing in Scripture is something that is predicated on us following in obedience. Tithing is probably one of the, the greatest examples of this in his word. It's a, it's a principle that's talked about in the Old Testament. Jesus uh, references it again in the New Testament, and so we know it's a New Testament principle. And he says that he will meet all of your needs if you tithe. Does that mean that he won't meet your needs if you don't? No, but he promises to meet your needs if you do, and for those of you who are in here who tithe, God meets your needs, doesn't he? He meets your needs. He may not need all, meet all your wants, but he meets every single one of your needs. Sometimes God's promises are conditional. Secondly, God changed the nature of this promise with Abram to be an unconditional promise. God can do that. You know why? He's God. He's the one who's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who's the maker of the promise itself. He can change the promise if he wants to because he's God. But he didn't trick Abram. He made the promise better. 
He made the promise better. I love this. God changed the nature of his promise to be unconditional. Take a look at Genesis 15, 1 through 5. He says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord, that you will give me uh, and uh, I will continue uh, uh, to the heirs of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Here's what Abram was thinking. He's like, I only have one heir. It's this guy, and he's not my son. Take a look at verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and, and, and member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir, verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram was beginning to um, be much older than the typical man uh, was able to have children. And his wife, Sarai, at this point in time, was a little bit older than a a typical woman who was able to bear children. And Abraham at this point in time is beginning to, I'm sure in his mind, doubt God's promise. We do that when he doesn't come through when we want him to come through, right? We begin to doubt his promises. That's what Abram was doing here. In verse 18, we're going to skip down to verse 18. We're going to come back in a moment. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the rivers of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and Kenizzites and uh, Cadmonites and the Hizzites and the Perizzites and the, and, uh, the Ruffium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, I love that one, and the Jebusites. All of these people, by the way, all these ites, um, were, were evil people who did not like God's people. And God said, I will give you this land. And in this point in time, in the promise, it's unconditional. He says, I will do it, and there's no condition on it. There's no if-then statement, and the principle is this. Sometimes God's promises are simply unconditional. Sometimes God's promises are simply unconditional. When we were living in Orlando, I I remember um, uh, we could get tickets to Disney World fairly cheap when when you lived there. And and I remember dad saying, hey, uh, when I come home next week, I'm going to take Saturday off, and we're going to go to Disney World. Oh, I was so excited. I was so thrilled to go to Disney World. And and dad came home, and and you know what we did? We went to Disney World. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to do anything. There was no if in the statement. Sometimes God's promises are unconditional. They're not based on an act of obedience. Sometimes they're conditional. They're based on an act of obedience. Sometimes they're unconditional. God's love, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, each one of you in here today. God's love for you and for me, God's love for humanity is an unconditional promise. The promise of heaven, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, is an unconditional promise. There's nothing that we have to do other than to put our faith in him. It's an unconditional promise, and sometimes God's promises are unconditional. Here's how this works. An unconditional covenant or an unconditional promise is this. God will. I like those, don't you? I, I like those a lot better. I mean, come on. You got you to gotta be honest with me. It's Sunday morning. We're in church. Don't you like the unconditional promises compared to the conditional promises? Because it doesn't require anything from us. 
But we have to realize that there are some times when our act of obedience is the thing that lines us up with God's promise. And sometimes there are things that he promises or sometimes things that we receive as being his heirs. Verse 3, or uh, point number 3. God's promise to Abraham included the certainty of difficulty for God's people. God's promise to Abraham included the certainty of difficulty for God's people. Take a look at some of these verses that we skipped around here in, in Genesis 15. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and, and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Do you see once again there's promises hidden even in the difficulty? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. I love it. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This demonstrates the fact that there are times that when we follow God, there are going to be times when there is difficulty. There are going to be times for you that saying that you're a Jesus follower is going to make life difficult for you. Cynthia and I got to go to a foreign country, and in this foreign country, there was a young lady who um, rejected her family and, and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She walked away from her family to seek Christ because she knew that her family was going to reject her because of the faith that she was born into. Sometimes becoming a follower of Jesus, sometimes becoming a follower of God is going to mean that we will go through difficult times. When Cynthia and I got out of that van and prayed for that building, um, I had no idea the difficulty that would come our way. I remember um, th there were times that, that I just wanted to give up. There were times I just wanted to throw in the towel. There were times that I just wanted to say, you know what, I, somebody else can do this. Just because God promised to bless you, just because God promises to keep you, doesn't mean that you won't go through difficulty. And in fact, in Abraham's case, in the, in the, the Hebrew people's case, it's certain that they will go through. God specified the difficulty that they would go through, that there would be years, centuries of slavery and imprisonment, and bondage. And the principle is that sometimes God's promises will require us to endure difficulty. Cynthia and I went to uh, Liberty University, and Jerry Falwell was the founder of Liberty University. He died back in 2007. And I remember being up there for a college for a weekend where we were looking at uh, going there. Cynthia and I uh, were at the same college for a weekend and didn't know each other. That was pretty cool. little tip there for you. So anyway, we were there. She lived in Louisiana. I lived in Atlanta. And we were there on the same college for a weekend at Liberty University. And Jerry Falwell was in this small room with a, a fairly small group of parents. And it was question and answer. And one parent um, asked the question, would you do, do it all over again? Would you start this university all over again? 
this Christian at the time, one of the few Christian universities of that size in the country. Would you do it again? And Jerry Falwell said, absolutely not. No way. Because you can't imagine what my family and I have been through because we started this. But that's why God is sovereign and we're not. Because even though we may go through difficulty, even though we may go through a journey, a sojourn like the Jewish people did, and it was filled with difficulty, it was filled with suffering, it was filled with darkness and disappointment, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you on that path doing what he has called you to do because his promises are greater than the difficulty that you are going through or have been through. But we have to realize that God is not just our source of whatever we want we're going to get. We can call out to him for anything. But there are going to be times that when we follow him, we will go through difficulty. We will go through difficulty. Point number four. Abraham trusted God to keep his promises, and God honored that trust. God honored that trust. Look at this. He believed in Genesis 15, 6. He believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. You fast forward to the New Testament. You read in Hebrews 11, which is, has a list of all the people who have had great faith in the Bible. Abraham being one of the first ones. Verse 8 through 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went on, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here's the principle today, and here's where I want to land. And if you haven't listened to anything that I've said, please hear this this morning. God's promises are always available. They're always available. But they're only realized in our lives when we choose to trust him. They're only realized in our lives when we choose to trust him. We don't, I want you to hear this, we don't through our faith in him or our trust in him make his promises true. They are true always. But when we come in under alignment in that and when we trust him and obey him, that's where that little Sunday school song came from, by the way. That's when we are in the sweet spot of trusting the God of promise. And my key question to leave with you today is this. God is a God of promise, but do you trust him to keep his promises? Do you trust him to keep his promises? Over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to see how faithful God is. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what worry you have in your heart, what burden you have that you came in this room with. But I want to let you know that God's promises are true, that he is faithful. And when you peel back all those layers, I want you to hear this. You can trust his promises because of who God is. You can trust his promises even through the worst difficulty that you will ever go through in your life because of who he is. Do you trust his promises? Father God, thank you so much for this great story that we are just scratching the surface of today. 
that we are just beginning here this morning. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who walked in here today and they are suffocating with worry. They are suffocating with suffering. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's in a relationship that they have. But God, they walked in here today and the thing that is hardest for them to do is to trust that you are someone who keeps your word. God, we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story for Abraham. We know that you were faithful. We know that it wasn't without difficulty. And so I pray for those who are in this room today who would say, I have severe difficulty in my life and I have been on the verge of giving up and I am not going to give up today because God is faithful. I pray for those who are weary, who have heavy burdens. God, I pray that they would realize that you are so faithful and that you are good on your word, that your promises are true. When no one else's word is true, yours is true. So much so that we can look back and we see what you did with humanity through the person of Jesus Christ, your only son. And today we sing his praises and we give you glory because you provided eternal salvation through the one who came to die on a cross. God, you are the God of promises. You are the God of salvation. And we sing that praise today. And we give you glory for what you've done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.